Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good day, good people. This is Brad King, and you are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam Podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Max the Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker. We got some good news yesterday. Mr. Max's cancer hasn't come back, which means we've got a decent prognosis on this. We got one more checkup in six months to get through, but we've been partying since yesterday. And we're going to keep that going with today's interview with Diana Giovanazzo, whose book, The Woman in Red, is out now. Uh, now, this interview, Diana's great. She is a giant history nerd, as she says, um, and she started in researching her family's genealogy, and that's where she sort of fell into this idea of historical fiction, um, specifically Italian and American-Italian history. She's the co-creator of Wine, Women, and Words, which is a weekly literary podcast featuring interviews with authors over a glass of wine. It's a well-named show. And she's active in her local literary community. She's the president of the Los Angeles chapter of the Women's National Book Association. But we will get to all of that in just a few minutes. As you know, we have some business to handle. We are now out every Wednesday, which we told you we've been doing that for a month or so now. Couple things you can do to help us out. Tell your friends about us and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also pop over to our Facebook page and leave us a review there. Head to theridersjam.com and leave us a testimonial through the contact page. Don't forget to check out our new video podcast series. We are releasing those through the Solid Listen YouTube channel, but you can catch the audio versions of them right here. If you'd like to buy the books of anybody that you've heard on the show, click on our bookshop link on that site. When you do that, we get a little scratch back, and you support local and independent bookstores across the country. You can also check out book reviews on the site, or you can sign up for a monthly newsletter. When you do that, you'll get book recommendations, those reviews, podcast highlights, and happenings around the web in your mailbox once a month. You can also help support all of the Solid Listen Network, Click on that little Patreon button, and when you do that, for just a couple bucks a month, you'll get commercial-free episodes, special happy hours, bonus content, and all that kind of fun stuff. Now, it's been a rough last few days here in the bunker. Yesterday, if you are listening to this the day it's released, but if not, on the 9th, Max had his oncology appointment. He got a little touch of the cancer at the end of last year. And we had an operation, and it's the kind of cancer that doesn't go away, but we were hopeful that the operation would knock it back a little bit, and we had to get the ultrasound yesterday. And if you've ever had a pet or you've ever had anybody that you love um, waiting on the results, when there was only going to be two results, either very good or very bad, there was not an in-between on this. If you've ever had somebody or something that you care about go through that, you know it is impossible to focus on anything else during the day. So I dropped him off at 9.30 and waited until 4.30 when we got the call. And of course, 
I've moved into this new house here and nothing is going right. Like everything will slowly get fixed, but nothing has been easy along the way. And the same thing happened with this. The, the doctor told me if they found something in the ultrasound that they would call me because we had set up his first chemo treatment for yesterday. So they were going to do an ultrasound and then just go ahead and start chemo. And that assumed that the tumor had not come back in the two months since the operation. And he said, well, if I call you, that means that we found something and we're going to have to change what we do and how we approach this because it would mean that Max doesn't have very much longer to live. It's like, if I don't call you, if you get a call from a technician, and that'll be somewhere between like three and five, everything was fine. So my go- I was trying to make it to like 3.30. I figured if I made it to 3.30 without a phone call, Everything was good. And I did. I made it to 3.30. I was a wreck. I don't really remember yesterday at all. Um, It was just sort of a day of trauma where I wandered around. And then at 4.30, I get a phone call, and I answer the phone, and it's the doctor. And that's the shit he told me I didn't want to hear. So immediately, I am now trying to process, before he said anything, that my dog is dying. And... He is not. He said, oh, everything was fine, blah, blah, blah. I don't know why he was the one that called me. And literally by the third sentence, he had said, oh, yeah, we didn't find anything. The chemo is fine. Everything's good. Come pick up the dog. But it was just one of those moments of, like, you told me this thing was going to happen, uh, and then you can't change in the middle of the stream. You can't – You if the tech should have called me. Like, because when I hear the doctor's voice, you told me if I talked to you, doctor, that that was bad. And – You know, it was funny because the whole day, the doctors where I have gone have been amazing. They have given Max amazing care. But they literally are those doctors that, like, bedside manner is not a thing. And I understand why. I mean, I talked to one of the techs when I picked Max up. It's a pandemic. And so you're not allowed in the the dog hospital. You, You can't go in. And so they're trying to talk to all these people about, their dogs with cancer and, you know, all of this stuff over the phone. You, I know, I've never met the doctors. I only meet the techs that take the dog inside. And so this tech was saying, it's the doctors and everybody have had to, like, spend a lot of time explaining stuff to people because they don't get to be in the room. Like, they can't tell whether you're, like, nodding or whatever. And if you've ever been in a traumatic situation with a sick family member, like, there's a lot of blank faces as you're trying to process stuff. And I finally had to tell him, like, as an old Wired and technology review writer, as a science writer, like, as soon as I found out what my dog got, I went out and pulled, like, the last five years of peer-reviewed studies, read them, and then as the doctors would be talking about these papers, I'm like, yes, yes, I understand what this is. Um, but all of that went out the window when, he, when the doc said, well, I won't call you unless there's something wrong. And I'm assuming he, just, he happened to be free, so he called me. And it was just one of those moments where, like, it is funny now. It was not funny yesterday. Although I am very thankful for all the work that they've done and, and very thankful for everything we've gone through. But it has been um, a really interesting time to go through all of this stuff because, you know, moving in a pandemic, having a dog sick in a pandemic, like, worried about my own family, as I'm sure all of you are, There's just been a lot of emotions, and as someone who is an extrovert, as someone who is used to having people around, yesterday was really tough because there can't really be people around, and going through all of that, 
was traumatic. And I'm thankful that I have trauma therapy. I'm thankful for the last four years of the work that I've done um, because I can't imagine what it would be like had that not been the case. And there was that moment where I had stepped back and just thought, one, how lucky and privileged I am to be in a position where like mental health can even be a thing that I think about and address. Um, because a lot of my friends and people that I know, and I'm sure people that you know, neither have the capacity to do that in terms of hours in the day or the money to do it or came from a, a family or a place into which that was valued and that people looked upon that as like part of what you should do. And as the pandemic has started to, and I'm going to use this term and it's not the right term, but just bear with me, wind down as the vaccine is, is, is getting out as we're starting to understand what life will look like after this, as things are starting to open up again, there's going to be a lot of long-term damage, mental health damage that we have to deal with. And as I went through yesterday, just thinking about, you know, and feeling and sitting in like how difficult this was in a pandemic and how much better it would have been had there not been a pandemic, obviously, I also couldn't help but reflect all of the other things that all of you are going through and that all of my friends are going through and the people that we know are going through who are literally just hanging on like I was hanging on throughout the day, only they've been doing it for 13 months. And I know when the doctor finally said we didn't find anything, I burst into tears. Like just, I, I had no control over it. Like they just started coming. And I suspect there's going to be versions of that that happen when the vaccine happens and when you go out for the first time and when you sit in a room with six people, you know, for the first time that you haven't seen, that there's going to be an explosion of emotion and the sort of realization that mental health is going to be the, the sort of fallout from this and that we're going to be spending at least as much time making sure we take care of each other and all this. So I am very happy that Max is as good as can be. I'm very happy for the things that the doctors have done over the last four months because they've been fantastic. But I also could not help but think about all of you and all of the stuff that people are going through and all of the ways in which we just have to make sure that, like, yeah, it's going to be great to get back, but we also can't act like this didn't happen. We also can't act like the scars from this are just going to go away because they're real. And there's something that I think, you know, we need to make sure that we talk about with each other. I know it's a little unrelated to what you're about to hear today, but like that's what's been going on in life here in the bunker. And I appreciate everybody who listens to the show. I appreciate everybody who spends time with Max and I here. Um, and I always tell you the same thing, right? Which is, I hope your day is going well. I hope you're taking care of yourself. And I hope that you're taking care of each other. And I hope that this interview gives you a little bit of happiness and joy throughout your day. So, without further ado, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Diana Giovinazzo. Yes, I'm originally from Utica, New York. Oh, like is that up? That's upstate, yeah. That's upstate. It's over um, just outside of Syracuse. If you look at the map of New York, there's uh, Buffalo all the way to the north, and mm -hmm. then New York City all the way to the south, and we're kind of dead center in the middle there. 
And uh, do you have brothers and sisters growing up? No, technically no. So it was weird. So okay, okay, that's the <laughs> weirdest we're... answer to that question that I've had <laughs> in all these years. Technically no. Technically no. So my parents they met and everything in uh, Utica, and they moved out here to California. I was about one, two years old when they moved out here. Uh, they uh, got divorced, and my mom took me. And went from New York or from Los Angeles all the way back to New York. And my dad stayed out here. My dad was in the tech world. So this is the best place to be if you're in the tech world. And so, you know, my summers were spent out here in Los Angeles as it was. And when he got, he got remarried and I was maybe about five or six. And then there's, I have a half brother and half sister. And you would like to see him in the summers when you were out there? Yeah. So it was you and your mom back in Utica. Mm-hmm. So I'm her only child back in Utica, and then I come out to California, and I'm the eldest of these other two little rugrats. That's really interesting. That is that is interesting, but it's less <laughs> than technically you do you do have I brothers do. and sisters. They just sort of grew up in a in a different place some of the time. So what exactly. did your what did your mom do? Um, she was an accountant, basically. Uh, she, um, you know, the single mom kind of thing. So she worked all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it was, it was accounting work. So she worked as an accountant um, and during the day at a nine to five job. And then she, we, we were very religious. She was very religious. And so she was also the accountant for the church. Oh, wow. So, so she was like working all the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so what were you like? <laughs> I, I was a very good little girl. Um, there was there was the whole the, the religious side of things where I was you know overall very good until I hit my teen years. It happens. And yeah, it definitely happens when you question everything. Yeah. Uh, but I was very much a latchkey kid. Like right now, like while everybody's in quarantine, people are going stir crazy. I'm like, this is cool. I got my TV. I got my right. books. I'm good. This is right. everything I needed. So I was the kid who I wasn't allowed to like watch HBO after school. And sure enough, I would watch HBO and do my homework. Because it she was, wasn't around. Yeah, she wasn't around. So yeah. that's what I did. I just hung out and watched TV. I, there was a whole week of Killer Clowns from Outer Space on HBO. Um, and that's one of my favorite movies because of that. And it's also one of the reasons why I'm not big on clowns. So <laughs> <laughs> It's also a very strange movie. It is. It is yeah. the best strange movie. You have to kill these weird-ass clowns by popping them in the nose. And yeah. if anybody hasn't listened, watch that movie, you've got to go watch the movie. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I don't know how old you are, but I feel like you're younger than me. Like, I feel like that was, I mean, I'm almost 50 and that was like, that was my movie. Like that was that my range of like weird science fiction movies. So you were like watching older weird stuff. I'm yeah. I'm 40. I just turned 40 this year. Yeah. So you're about so, eight, eight, nine years younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. So you were like, you were aspiring to weird, nerdy sci-fi stuff. Oh, yeah. I love the weird sci-fi movies. I am all about those old school sci-fi movies. That's the stuff I love. I just bought Buckaroo Banzai and the Adventures in the Seventh Dimension, which if you have not seen, you should see. Yes, I have seen it. It's great. It's one of my, like, it's one of those movies where, like, literally everybody in that movie is famous. And the whole time you're just like, what the fuck was anybody thinking? <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Like Jonathan Lithgow plays the strangest character I've ever seen in a movie ever. And I'm just like, I mean, you were, he was famous then. He didn't have to do that movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I I go from, you know, we got killer clowns from outer space, Buckaroo Banzai. I go back to even Manos, The Hands of Fate. Wow. Those bad movies. I love those old bad movies. Yeah. I like the, like the original Blob, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of all those sort of weird, even like, you know, they do the, the, the remake of Westworld or not remake, but like the reimagining of Westworld. I remember watching Westworld with Yul Brenner because he was one of my favorite actors and just being scared to death of that movie. Mm. I don't know if you ever saw that or not. I did not see that one. Yul Brenner is like a killer robot is really freaky. Ooh, I yeah. have to check that. Go back and check that one out now. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I I can't watch the new one because it's too violent. Like I watched the first two episodes and I'm like, God damn, forty seven people got shot in the face. Like, <laughs> I, I I feel that way about a lot of stuff too. Like, uh, The Walking Dead. Yeah, um, can't do Game it. Game of Thrones. Can't do it. I couldn't. Could no, they stabbed that dude in the eye in like the third episode or something, and I was like, I'm out. I'm yep. out. Like, I can't do the gore. I can't do that much. I've got to have, yeah, the, the Trump presidency, the yeah. way the world is. Yeah. Give me fun stuff. Just yeah. give me the, the happy go lucky shit. Like Buckaroo Banzai. Like that's the level of shit that I want to see. Yes. Like rock and roll scientists who are trying to travel through dimensions. Exactly. Exactly. So were you like a nerdy kid? Oh, hell yeah. 100%. My, I, I really, um, between both of my parents and me having my own thing, it, I was I was doomed to be nerdy. My dad, he likes to brag that, cause I mean, I love Doctor Who. Mm. You know, speaking of being nerdy. Who's your favorite doctor? Oh, gosh. Um, There's only one right answer. <laughs> oh, no, I feel even more pressure. I'm a David Tennant fan. Uh, I love so David he's Tennant. The second, he's the second. He's the second. Tom but, Baker. Tom Baker oh, is the best Tom. doctor. That was my dad's favorite. I mean, because yeah. he was the longest, he was like the, the, the doctor my entire childhood for like yes. 12 years. And the best part about it is he was a, he was a maintenance guy. He, was, he wasn't even acting anymore. And he got the job, which is why he never left. He was like, this is the greatest job in the whole world. Like I was literally fixing pipes and now I'm doctor fucking who. Yeah. It's 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 great, and I love the doctors, and I love the history behind it. And as yeah. much as I'm a David Tennant girl, I he also is great. Really love. Oh, he's great, so great. Um, he and I'm Rose were of, the best. Oh yeah, but I'm also a fan of Christopher Eccleston. Uh, I, I, he's got a special place in my heart. Why? My husband was um, deployed during the time, so when Doctor Who, so going back, my dad likes to brag about this. Going right. back to my dad being weird. Right. So when I was little or actually my mom was actually pregnant for me at the time. He, they would watch Dr. Who together and they would watch Tom Baker. And so he was like, I got you into Dr. Who long before you even knew what it was. Um, <laughs> I see your dad takes credit for things. He does. He yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you did. What can you expect? Um, so yeah, my, um, when my husband was deployed, he was over in Afghanistan at the time and we were in Texas and I was kind of on my own in this whole little, my own little Texas world, a, a Yankee girl in Texas. Yeah. That just explains everything right there. And this show, Doctor Who, comes on. And it's with Christopher Eccleston. And I sat down and watched it. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And just got obsessed with the show, obsessed with the history. I went back and watched all the old episodes, as many as I could get my hands oh, so on the, at you, the time. You came into Doctor Who through him. You yeah. hadn't watched it, like, when it was weird and on like UHF in mm-hmm. like the eighties. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, it's I interesting. Came in through him. 
I think that I would have liked him more had he not been such a jerk when he left after the first year. Like yeah. that kind of turned me off. And so when Tenet showed up and was just so fucking charming, like couldn't have been more charming as a doctor. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Right? I feel like he set the stage for any doctor coming in after him. Yeah. I didn't like Matt Smith, but I loved uh, Amy Pond. Like, she was great. And then I loved loved the last two. I loved... um, Capaldi. Oh my God. Grumpy Capaldi guitar playing could, you know, was the best. (laughs) With the eyebrows, the eyebrows. When he made the comments about the eyebrows, I was like, this is my doctor. Yeah. Because I have the eyebrows. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, and then having the broad church uh, woman. Yes. What's her name? Oh, I'm forgetting her name. I know. I own own them all and I've watched them, but it's pandemic. (laughs) So I've forgotten everything. Exactly. Having her come from Broadchurch with Tenet to there, I'm like, oh my God, they're just bringing all of Broadchurch like over to Doctor Who. Great. Super. Pretty much. And she's great too. Like, yeah. uh, And I love the fact that every, you know, all the fanboy jackasses who lost their mind, I'm like, it's a fucking TV show, man. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like Doctor Who can be whatever we decide Doctor Who's going to be. Yeah. (laughs) The time lords are not a thing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, they, and they put it, in, they made sure to even put it in the canon. Yeah. Um, Neil Gaiman, one of my favorite writers, was like, yeah, you can do that. They can, he, yeah. he's like, they could be women. Sure, why yeah. not? They're, they're time lords. They can yeah. do whatever they want. As it turns out, oh yeah, because they made the, uh, they made uh, his adversary a woman. Yeah, and then there was um, the one before that with Matt Smith, where they go to that planet and the, uh, um, the TARDIS becomes a woman. Oh, right. Yes. Right. Yeah, and that was when um, uh, Neil Gaiman was actually wrote that episode. 
and oh, he put that's a little he thing in. in there yeah and he was like yeah there was this uh time lord and he, he was really great when he was a woman and he like just that one little line in there so that yeah. they could run with it in the future well and you know i mean i don't know neil gaiman but just having listened to him enough that like you know he was like oh there are jackasses that don't think this can be true okay Boom. oh yeah it's true, right? Like <laughs> exactly. Like, it just feels very much like a gaming thing. Like, don't, oh yes, just come on. Like my favorite story about, uh, uh, oh God, what was the the thing with Tenet that he did? That gods and angels. Uh, oh, angels and uh, um, good omens. Good omens. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, yes. what the hell? Oh, like, I love that show. I, so I listened to the to the audio book, but listening to him talk about it, he's like, yeah, I didn't write that book. Like, I know it was a partnership, but I didn't want to do it. Like, so. I didn't write most of that book. And the only reason I wrote the teleseries was because his partner passed away and his yeah. partner was like, I need you to do this. And he's like, God damn it. I don't want to do any of this. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. I was, it was so funny. It's so, so charming. Oh yeah. It was crazy. So we went to um, the Hollywood cemetery. Oh, so pre pandemic, they did movies and screenings at the cemetery. Oh, and cool. Yeah. It's like the, it's one of my favorite things to do during the summer. And we went there for a, a pre-screening of uh, Good Omens. Oh. And the cast of American Gods was there. And Neil Gaiman was there. And, like, uh, everybody, I love American Gods. I love the book. Um, but it was really weird because the whole cast is there. And he was talking about how much he loved the cast of Good Omens. And that it was the best cast he'd ever worked no. with. <laughs> and we're like... Oh. That's what I'm like. Oh, this is awkward. That's funny. Uh, yeah, but and yeah, he told that story too. At uh, Terry yeah. Pratchett, how much this was for Terry Pratchett. This was his dying wish that this would turn into yeah. a TV series. It's the whole thing is just like being a writer and being an old man. I'm like, God damn, I relate to every bit of that because yes. I know I drive my writing partner crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's like, I don't want to do this, and I'm like come on let's do it (laughs) i don't know if i could ever actually write with a writing partner i kind of feel like i'm so like controlling of my own little world and my own little story where i'm like we have to change that do do we have to go that way i I don't think so yeah i'm very much this is my own little world and leave me alone in my own little world i always tell people when they say this that that just means that you have a problem with collaboration and people yeah yeah that sounds about right i don't share my toys well yeah you know we would have knockdown drag out arguments but it was always about the writing and always about the storytelling but i mean there were very famously at one point he said something to me and i kicked out my chair and i got up and i was getting aggressive and i said to him if it was anybody else on the planet you would not be standing up right now and then (laughs) i sat down and i'm like well that was stupid yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I have my my co-host for the podcast. I mean, right. she and I, we're work wives. You know, I talk yeah. to her sometimes more than I talk to my own husband. And vice versa with her, because we're constantly, you know, writing and going back and forth. And I'll be like, hey, can you take a look at this chapter for me? You know, so that there's that sort of thing going on. See, with you us. could do it. Oh, yeah, I could do it. I just don't want to do it. You just don't want to. <laughs> so that's different than where you started, which is I don't think I could. What you mean is I don't want to. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So you're growing up in Utica. So, so, uh, and you're sort of nerdy. Like, as Mm -hmm. you get to high school, like, are you, 
like, and it's so funny because I always break this down like you can only be one thing. Like, were you like a theater kid or did you do sports or did you just do nothing? Like, what I were was you a theater in kid. I was very much a theater kid. I was in um, choir. I was in the theater. I was very much, I love theater. I still do. I love movies and that sort of thing. And it was the one little place where I kind of sort of fit in. I still didn't feel like I fully fit into anything, any of that high school mold. High school is so hard for me. What and think? I'm sure it's hard for everybody, but like... Not really. <laughs> I, mean, it's hard, I mean, it's hard for people for reasons. Like, what, what do you think the reasons were? Um, I was just... I don't know if it was, I was shy. I was really shy. I wasn't really comfortable with my own skin. Um, and Utica, in and of itself, for those who don't know the Utica area, it's, very, it's part of the Rust Belt Mm-hmm. It's right at the tip of that. And overall, it's a, in retrospect, it's a great place to grow up. But in other ways, it's a hard place <laughs> to grow up where you have, there's, there's a general meanness that kind of comes around in the area where... I call it a hardness. Yeah. Like yeah. I grew up, I grew up, I, like I grew up in Northern Appalachia. So like, mm-hmm. when you say meanness, what do you mean? Well, there's... um. Let's see how can I best put it. Where how you know you can get easily made fun of for just about anything that you say or do. I mean, my old mom would crack jokes about stuff. Um, oh yes, that is that is deeply embedded in the culture. Yeah. So yeah. there there was very much that there's that just this you know it's it's the best way to describe it is just that hardness that yeah. that that rough and tumble. Um, you know why should I do this? I'm not going to be any good at this kind of. Yeah. Attitude for things. Well, and like, I think the, I think mean and hard are probably the opposite sides of the coin, depending on which side you are doing the thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like to mom, she was just being hard and to you that's mean. Stop it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and then like, even like, you know, little, you know, there's always like the little jokes about um, how somebody looks that sort of thing. Oh yeah. Uh, Everything. That, that, yeah. That would come from my mom too oh shit yeah. <laughs> oh, <Christ. laughs> so that's that's not easy to overcome <laughs> no 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 it's not um i can relate to this on the some level <laughs> yeah, yeah so did you do the thing that like i did where you became self-deprecating and were like i'm going to beat you all to the punch uh to an extent i did but i was so and that didn't really come until i got older i think until i came out here i think because then i just kind of went inward a lot of in a lot of ways where I just kind of like you know I was about my books I was about just you know keeping my head down especially in high school especially in that that place where you had like the jocks and you had um I feel like they were like the antithesis of everything that I was and they scared me to live to death I mean there was one time I was a it's maybe third oh no I was I was in high school it's maybe about ninth tenth grade and there was a stupid project where you had to like put on a collage of what you want to be when you grow up. And I didn't think of every, you know, the, the few things I wanted, like a writer, I always wanted right. to be a writer. So that was on there other things. And I threw up model just, I was like, what the hell throw this up there. That I don't did care. Not go well, did it? No, no, no. I walked into a library and I walked into the back of the library and there was a quarterback and all his little groupies around him, all the cheerleaders and stuff, making fun of me about how ugly I was and how I would never be a model or anything like that. Yeah. And I was just devastated. 
How big was your high school? Um, it was pretty big. It was pretty yeah. big. We were, um, it was Whitesboro High School. So it was like one of the, the big schools over there. See, and I think that this is a different, like my, I had like 150 or 60 people in my graduating class and we all grew up together. So mm-hmm. we knew each other from, I mean, there were almost nobody that moved into the town. Mm-hmm. And so we, in fact, a bunch of us were talking about this on Facebook last night. We were all pretty, I mean, there were some bullshit back and forth, but we all knew each other and grew up together. So we mm-hmm. didn't have that stuff that I hear when people that went to bigger schools were like, cliques exist and not communities exist yeah and you know i've always said i don't know how anybody fucking survives that yeah because that's it's, brutal it is it is we i mean we we were pretty big and i mean i i think every year there was at least one suicide at my high school that's there was like, always that memoriam in the back of the yearbook of who committed suicide this year like i think your experience is closer to what no, everybody else's what was, people yeah. go through yeah 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 100 yeah. yeah, um, so it's always interesting. That's, I mean, part of the reason I talk about high school, because I think that shapes, obviously it shapes a lot. Like these things still resonate. It was yeah. Hard. Well, I did have my revenge on the quarterback. I feel like to an extent, cause I came back to home to visit my mom and I had moved out to California and my Just hair after was you graduated after my, after I graduated. Uh, I, after I graduated, I was sitting in Utica for about a year and then went to California and then I came back and different look, different hair, everything. I'm walking through the mall with my mom and my grandma. Yes. <laughs> he sees me with his group. And it's like, you see him stop and turn his head, just turn and, and follow me. And I'm like, I don't know you. I was just, I just kept walking. I was like, screw you, buddy. You're not good enough to look at me. It's so interesting, isn't it? Like, I think there's a, there's a, like as I grew up in a small town and like, I always wanted to leave. Like I knew that that was not where my happiness was going to be. Yeah. I still love it there, but that is not my place. Oh, for the, as long as I can remember, it was all, all about wanting to leave. Yeah. There was, um, I just wanted to get out and see the world. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go places. I just wanted to get out. I don't yeah. know where it came from. Maybe it was, you know, my ancestors when they moved here, um, because my family's my mom, my dad's side's third. I'm um, third generation Italian, so who are you know immigrated, and so it was just that kind of that wandering spirit of I got to get out, I got to go places, and that just from as long as I can remember, that was one of the things I just had to do. As I've gotten older, uh, I've wondered if that was for me, if it was because I knew I didn't fit in there, mm-hmm. and I needed to find me, and I knew I was going to always be defined by whatever happened in that town. Yeah. And I felt like I was something other than that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It took me getting out to California to be able to achieve the kind of person I wanted to become. Yeah. And like, there just comes that moment too, where you're like, oh yeah, this is me. Yeah. Right. The fight kind of stops and you're like, oh yeah. It's weird to interact. You know, I still have to do this with my parents. They'll still treat me like that kid. I mean, I'm 48. Like I'm a thousand years old. You know, they're a thousand <laughs> years old, and they'll say stuff, and I'm like, "That's not. I've been that person, you know, in 30 years." Yeah, my my mom is a little bit more like that. My dad, not so much, because when I came out here, I was going through the that I got to find myself, sure. going through that whole messed up period. Um, I was a real messed up kid when I first came out here. So he, you know, kind of watched me through that journey. We fought a lot um, yeah. periodically during that journey. But also he was external to that because yeah. you would come out here like he only knows you as California you. He doesn't yep. know you as Utica you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So when you left, did you go to college or did you do some gap year stuff? Or like- um, I went to college. So my first, I was in community college out there, Mohawk Valley Community College. Out there in Utica? Out there in Utica. Yeah. Um, it, it's a very scary thing to just pick up and move to a whole other state across the country. Yes, it is. And I was, I was scared. I was scared. I was going to come out right after high school. And then I was like, no, I can't. I'm, I'm too scared. My mother was, um, you know, it was all about her daughter, about me. This, this is sure. what defined her was her daughter. Yeah. And I was, I was leaving that. So there was a lot of, you know, pushback from her on it. And so I finally, you know, just got to a point where things were getting rough um, with me questioning the religious uh, group that she was in. Oh, and, that must have been really hard. Well, I mean, it, you really haven't lived until you've been uh, branded a witch. Uh, <laughs> Kid you not, I got uh, labeled as a witch uh, when I was about 17. And um, yeah, I was like, you know what? I, I got to get out of here. I, I had an aunt that I'd tell all this stuff to and she's like, you got to get out of here. You got to go back to, you got to go out there with your dad. Wow. And I Are you and her, your mom close? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, she was very much the, we we're very close. She, oh, I, th- I feel like watching Gilmore Girls was very similar experience to that. <laughs> okay. um, but with things, the thing that Gilmore Girls doesn't really get into that can so- kind of happen with that relationship is that when you start to branch out on your own and start to want to do things on your own, as you should when you're about 16 and older, that things get really hard for the mother in that situation. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, they're my, they're my kid's my best friend. Your kid's your kid. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So it was really, it, that was kind of hard for her and, and hard for me too. And that, and that's, have you guys come back together? Yeah. 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 So it was, we, it was just those growing pains of like, you needed to get, and I, you know, I, this is a thing I can't imagine because I'm a, you know, white dude, but like, I think being a single mom who's struggling and has a daughter, I got to think that that bond and identity is something that is, you know, yeah. Is it's just very much re- yeah, you know, it's like real strong isn't even the right word. It just mm-hmm. sort of becomes the like the two of you become her identity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is the life I'm going to live in. It's all about my daughter. And now all of a sudden my daughter wants to go away to college yeah. and be out there with her dad and this whole other life. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with myself? Mm-hmm. And there was something that we had to go, you know, back and forth on. And, yeah. you know, we have our issues on and, you know, until things kind of, chilled out and we had this we have this nice now we have this nice adult relationship where yeah. and and our boundaries and things i mean in the same way that like you had to go find yourself mm-hmm. you know she had to go find again, herself yeah and i don't like talking about women's stuff because i'm not one but like <laughs> it feels very much like that single mom i just i mm-hmm. i have many friends who are single moms with kids and they literally abandon their entire life and they make the kid the center of everything yeah. and i have lots of dad friends who are single parents and they don't do that yeah. I mean, they, they love their kids, but their kids are not the, how they identify themselves. the center of their world. And, yeah. you know, and my mom to the point where, uh, she, if I was around my friends, she wanted to be around my friends too. Right. She and, was, she was the, she had to be the cool mom and be involved with all the friends right. stuff too. Right. Um, and then, so when I got to college and I had friends and I was going off with my friends and doing my stuff with my friends and she wasn't invited, there was that, that pushback yeah. there. And I, you know, I need to make it clear on the show, like this is very clearly cultural, right? Like yeah. when you see that kind of delineation where it's like yes. most of these people and most of these people and they have identifying traits, you're like, well, 
that's probably something systemic is making yes. that happen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of yeah. uh, words yeah. in the can here in this yeah, yeah. situation that we're not so, going into them in the backstory. No. But people yeah. that in this personal situation. Yeah. Yeah. People <laughs> that listen to the show know that like that's sort of like I get the systemic stuff, but like every show I'm always like, let's just remember mom's not yeah. crazy. Mom is the outcome of a system that was designed to make her feel that way. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And yes. You can both be angry at her, but then later on be like, well, fuck. Yeah, yeah. When you look at, you know, look at the way, you know, my grandfather, I mean, her own father, he had marital affairs, multiple marital affairs sure. that nobody talked about. We there, we discovered, we recently just discovered a second um, kid of his that nobody knew about. And they were under this very evangelical, you know, that evangelical Christian, oh, yeah. you don't talk about these things. Yeah. Uh, they're Pentecostal and very much. Holy under shit. They're the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's you, what they were. And so that's where um, I grew up, you know, I grew up in that. that wow. Thing. It was a big deal when my aunt and uncle decided to become Methodist. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I can't even imagine. A, is, was your grandfather Italian? No, this is my mom's. My mom's side is American. Okay. American. They go back to like the colonial aspect. So they're my English. Dad, yeah, English. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my yeah. dad's side's very much the Italian. They were, um, you know, the Catholic by the time yeah. I came around, they were Catholic. They, there was there was a stint where my my great grandfather transition. Yeah, well, he actually, uh, interestingly, he became a pastor of a Pentecostal church in the nineteen twenties, and my grandfather used to talk about it because during Prohibition, there was they had a great basement for hiding alcohol, and that, that's what they loved that church for. And then after he died, my grandmother. It was like, okay, we're going to be Catholic again. And everybody went back to being Catholic. That's funny. It's, uh, I'm, you know, I'm from Appalachia. Pentecostal, where I'm from, is like, that's some, that's some real ancient scary shit. Oh, yeah. They don't, they, there wasn't any of that snake charming They don't stuff. do this. I mean, I figured because no. you'd have brought the snake up. And like, I don't want to. No, wanna, we don't do that with the snake. Yeah. Which is funny because I have a pet snake. And so you do do the snake thing, I, I, and you are a witch. This yeah, right. Since now, right now you know me. I feel like maybe you were <laughs> protesting some shit that was going on. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's they. They didn't do that. They were very much that holy roller, speaking in tongues. You're in church from like 10 a.m. to one o'clock. The tongue shit is weird too. Oh yeah, it's don't just you know? like watching people stand up and just like go into it is uh oh yeah it's you know and i don't like brandishing whole religions into a way i mean i am an atheist and i grew up in the church and i'm like whatever but like pentecostals i'm just like i i don't really know yeah like i don't really know where to go evangelicals yeah yeah right it's like you know i get like people like i get old-timey religion i don't get snakes I the snake stuff, yeah, yeah. That, I, I, I'm with you on that. And yeah, like, they were they my uh, apparently my great grandmother grew up with the snakes. I mean, and if you're then, Pentecostal, at some point you did. Yeah, yeah, and then she stepped away from from that to a more you know standard church, I yeah. suppose. And then you know we kind of subsequently went on from there. But yeah, my grandmother even like she'd be at home in her rocking chair, she'd start speaking in tongues randomly That's and so shit. Crazy, it was just. Man. It was such a weird kind of thing, place to, you know, other world to grow up in, too. Yeah. I mean, I speak in tongues after about a half a bottle of Everclear. I feel like anybody who drinks Everclear starts speaking in tongues. Yeah. When we were in Texas, there was this um, alcohol called Loki. 
<laughs> where I was in Texas, it was just so good. But I mean, you always had Everclear in the base of it. Yeah. But it was really good, really sweet. And uh, yeah, I think about two bottles, a bottle of that, really just a bottle of that. That's when I would uh, go back yeah. to the speaking in tongues kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, the unknown tongue. So how long are you in uh, community college? Do you do two years? Um, at that one, I did a year. And then when I went back, came out to California, I did two years. So did, you did the one year and then moved out. Yeah. And what were you studying in community college? Like, were you primarily focused on like English writing? No, uh, ironically, not. no, <laughs> of course not. Um, Nobody on the show ever studies this stuff in college. No, no, I was, <laughs> uh, my major was sociology. Ah, uh, so it's not that, it's, you know, that makes sense as someone who wants to be a writer. Yeah, yeah. Did sociology, you know you wanted to be a writer? I did, but. Yeah, it was on the board. It was on the board, but my, it was so funny because I mean, coming from that work ethic background with you know, my mom and then, you know, with the Italian side too, it was very much, you got to work, you got to put, you got to put food on the table. Yeah. And that's, you know, where my dad came from, from it. And we actually had this, he was really mad at me for going into sociology when he thought I should go into computers, even though I don't have the mind for computers. I appreciate people in computers. They, they really drive our world forward. Uh, but that's just not where my mind is. And we're at the kitchen sink doing dishes. And we got into this huge argument because I wanted to be in sociology. I didn't want to be a computer person. And he was like, well, you're not going to do anything good with your life. And I was like, well, apparently I don't want to succeed. And we were just, I just remember that argument so well and yeah I was like screw it I'm gonna and I, and I got so mad at him after that that I decided to pay my own way through college and I got my degree in sociology with a minor in anthropology both of those make sense as a writer you know yeah looking back it totally does yeah it, really it only does. makes yeah it only retrospectively yeah 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 because I was like I don't necessarily I didn't really want to be a social worker but I love the idea of studying society and studying, you know, the anthropology and how things, you know, worked and, you know, anthropology of religion, anthropology of yeah. nutrition. Those are the things I was really interested in. And yeah. And then after I got my college degree, I did not know what I wanted to do with it still. Yeah. And happens. yeah, when I was in my twenties, I thought, okay, I'm going to try this writing thing. This is what I always want to do. I'm going to try this writing thing. And um, in my twenties, I look back at it and I was like, at, even then in my twenties, um, I was like, I'm a failure. I couldn't get anything going, couldn't get a good book going. And I was like, well, this isn't going to work out. My husband had just gotten out of the military. We moved back to California when did in the middle. Get married? We got married in 2004. But I mean, were you out of college? I was out of college. That yeah. was one of the things my dad's thing was, um, you can't uh, get married while you're in college. You got to have your degree before gotcha. you can go get married. But you guys had been dating. Yeah, we've been dating. Gotcha. So you yeah, get we... married. He's in the military. He's overseas. You're trying to write. None of that shit's working. None of it's working. None of it's working at all. And I was like, okay, 2008, we moved back to California. Because we cannot handle the Yankees cannot handle living in Texas. See, I lived in Austin. I love. I love. Well, I, I lived in Austin, which is different yeah. than Texas. Oh yes, yes, it very much. Where was, where, I where, loved was the, Austin. where was the base? Fort Hood. Oh, so you were not that far away from Austin? No, no, we yeah. weren't that far away. But even still, when you drive in Texas, yeah. everything is far away. Yeah, people everything. don't understand. Like it's larger than like Europe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it. I think uh, I've driven across the country. I think 
five or six times. And like you hit the border of Texas out there in New Mexico. It's two uh, days to get to the other side. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there was a great story. There was this great story that uh, one of our friends told in Texas. Uh, after World War II, uh, there was a German national on a train going, he was a you know POW, and he's on a train going, and he's with the sheriff, and they're on the train, and he gets off. He gets off and he escapes, and he goes right in, and the sheriff takes his time and finds him, and the guy's sitting on the tr- under the tree, and he's like, you can't get me. I'm in another country now. I you can't. I'm, I'm not. You can't get me. And the sheriff's like, "Well, you're, you're you haven't even left my jurisdiction. Right. Get back on that train. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, you know, it's it is a crazy. If you haven't driven across, I've driven up and yeah. down and across it, and it's just uh, it's something it's, else. And like it it's is. it's so like east and west Texas are different, and like Paladuro up in the Panhandle is different, and Galveston is like the fightingest beach town I've ever been in my life. You get on a Galveston, you're just like, well, there's gonna be a fight. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And we were central, so we were just outside of close. Yeah. I think closer to Waco than we were to Austin. Yeah, but I mean, Waco is only like 90 minutes away. Yeah. Like I yeah, know where exactly. Fort. I mean, I don't know if everybody else knows where Fort Hood is, but yeah. Uh, yeah, and so you moved back to LA. Yeah, we moved back to LA. So well, that's, it, it was, a, that's a whole different world. Those are not, oh, those are two not similar worlds. Yes, yes. I, I'm, we were very much Los Angeles people, and it was so funny because my husband um, and I we we're in the middle of a tornado, and we're on the second story of an apartment building, and we're sitting in the bathroom. And I've got like all the blankets on top of me and I'm holding my dogs and the tornado sounds going through. And I just looked at my husband and I was like, babe, uh, I can't do this anymore. We've got to go back to California. (laughs) And he was like, yeah. And so that was, that was it. That's the, that was the deciding factor on whether or not he wanted to stay in the military or not. And so was that yeah. you were leaving and you, he was welcome to join you. No, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I was just like, we, we had to make the decision and we're just like, we can't, we're going to go. We, we want to be Californians. We want to be back here. Yeah. And we're like, screw it. We're, we're it, going turns out, it turns out the military doesn't let you pick where you live. No, no, they don't. That's yeah. funny thing about that. Yeah. They're, uh, <laughs> they're particular about their rules. So oh, yes. you come back and then what are you doing? Um, I work. And this is going to be funny. I work in a travel agency for timeshares. Oh, my parents have had a timeshare forever. They love it. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I personally don't, having, especially having to work there. And I worked in the exchange section of it. Gotcha. So the angry part. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where they can't use their time. And so yeah. they got to get in. And then they want to get, yeah. you know, California in the middle of the summertime. Why can't I get a place in the California in the middle of the summertime? Or... Yeah. You know, these really high-end places and high-end times, and they're like, what the hell? Um, There's an art. Like, my father starts planning their stuff, like, months ahead of time. They spend three months, you know, out west. But he, like, it's full-time job finding all the things. Like, you got to be committed to that shit. Yes, yes. And those who were committed to it did well. Yeah. And those who weren't got screwed. End up on your phone. (laughs) Yes, yes. He's screaming and yelling at me. Um, but one of the best things about it was that's where Michelle and I met my podcast plus co-host. We were, um, we were there and she had trained me and, um, we, there wasn't anything else left for us to do. We were kind of on our own little, (laughs) own little satellite office that they called it at the time. And we were bored. So we'd read in between phone calls and then we'd start trading books back and forth to each other. 
And it just kind of grew from there. We'd have these nights where we just get that sit down and get like massive amounts of Chinese food. Like I'm talking like you go to this Chinese place and you get the stuff for the family of like yeah, yeah. six. Yeah. Yeah. We get that for two of us. Yeah. And we just chow down on this Chinese food and just talk books the whole and drink wine and talk books. And that was our fun nights. Were you thinking about writing at that point or at this point, were you just sort of like, I don't I was know what done. I'm going to do. Yeah. I still didn't know what I was going to do. And I thought I failed as a writer. Um, and I'm like, I'm never writing again. I'm not a writer. And, and it was really Michelle and she got the thank you for it in the book too. Cause it was, I was like, I'm not a writer and I love these books. I love reading, but I'm, I'm not going to be a writer. And she was we like, were, you're an idiot. Yeah, yeah. And it was so funny because we did this, um, it was like this, you know, uh, competition for something. And she was like, let's, she's like, you don't have to enter into it. You, let's just do stories and we'll trade off. And just, just to see, just, just for funsies. Trade off meaning like you'd each like, write and then look at each other, or like write yeah. part of the story and hand it off to the next. No, person. you write you write the story and then we trade the stories, and I get to read what your what your story gotcha. was that you wrote, and I did it, and she was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! Why aren't you a writer? Why aren't you doing this? You're a great writer. Why aren't you doing this?" And I was like, "Cause I failed. I was I like, you. I, yeah." And she's like, "No, you need to you need to submit it." And yeah, I did, and nothing came from it, and. When I was like, I'm not, and I kept pushing back, I'm not a writer. This isn't my thing. Sure. She would then, this was at the start of like Twitter and social media. And she would find articles by the people about being a writer and other stuff about writing. And she would send them to me and she would tag the author. And she'd be like, see, Diana, you should still be a writer. And they'd be like, yeah, Diana, why aren't you writing? And so she kept doing this to me to the point where I was like, fine, I'm going to get back into writing. And I slowly got back into the whole writing world. I started blogging and then that led to book reviews, which led to me writing my own book. And here I am now. Yeah, it's people's people say bullying bad, but it's not always bad. <laughs> no, no, it's not always bad. And I feel like there's this nuance of it, of that having that friend pushing you of, hey, this is something really you should do. And go ahead and do it. Get do it. Why aren't you doing it? Yeah, I mean, it is a very fine line between yeah. bullying and encouragement. Yes, yes, it's like nagging. Nagging, yeah. I feel like, is the and best bringing one. other people in who don't know you and like snitch tagging them and being like, "Tell yeah. her to do this thing." Like that's you know, yeah, that's a lot of peer pressure coming in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, fine. If you just shut up already, I'll do it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's one step, you know, she didn't hit you. She didn't lay hands on you, yeah. but, uh, you know, psychologically there was a warfare happening. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> so, uh, what's, what do you decide to do? Because it's one thing to say like, I'm going to get back into writing. It's another thing to go, uh, what the fuck am I going to write about? Yeah. You know, I was very much, <laughs> I was on the fantasy track and I feel like a lot of people start off with writing and just go sci-fi fantasy. And that's, you know, watch what I watched Dr. Who, yeah. all that stuff. And I was like, like fan standing. fiction stuff or were you like your own version of Dr. My Who? own version stuff, yeah. my own stuff. Dr. Schmoo. <laughs> yeah. 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 Basically. Uh, and I went and I was going straight, straight, uh, fantasy. And then, um, she was, it was funny because, well, I was in the midst of doing that and it was crap. I can admit it was crap. It's that practice novel. Everybody's got to sure. have that practice novel. And that was my practice novel. Um, I was, I was talking with my dad and I've always been fascinated about my family from Italy coming here. 
you know, they came the one there's we're Calabrian and Sicilian and the Sicilians came in 1915 and the Calabrians came in 1913. Calabrian. What is Calabrian? You know, in Calabria, the very, like the, the heat, like the toes of the boot. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Calabrian. So we were, you know, oh, so from, that's a part of, that's a part of the country. That's part, yeah. That's the region. That within was what the I was, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We don't, we don't have that in Appalachia. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sure this is a thing I should know. Gotcha. So, yeah. so from two different parts of the country. Yeah. Th- emigrated over here yeah they immigrated over here they landed in utica and i was is there what how why is there a um, big italian population there yeah there's a very big italian okay. population up there uh and it was interesting because my the calabrian part of the family which is my focus primarily right now too is that they didn't have anybody when they came over and it was just them my great-grandparents who came and so it was just, you know, finding this stuff out. And I was, you know, tr- searching for these stories because my grandparents died when I was young. One died just before I was born and the other one died when I was about six or so. So I couldn't ask them these questions. So I was always asking my aunt, my dad about this. And so I was doing these searches and my dad was writing his own book at the time. And, you know, I started talking to him about history of Italy. And I was like, I was asking him about, you know, how, you know my questions about how they came here turned into, well, Why? Why did they leave here, leave Italy? What was the, these factors? And that's when we started getting on to um, the subject of Gar- Giuseppe Garibaldi. He united Italy, created, he was basically a lot like a cross between their George Washington and Lincoln in a lot of ways. And he created Italy. He, you know, this, the Italy that we see today is very much a lot of his, his dream work. And you know, we started talking about him and then we started talking about his wife, Anita. And my dad was like, you should pick up a book about her. You'd be really interested in her. And I was like, okay. And, you know, I picked up the book and I just, I fell in love with her and her story and the history of Italy. Like when we think of the history of Italy, we always think the Romans, we think Renaissance. Sure. And there is, we don't really think about this time in between then and you know we don't know about unification and the fact that they unified as a country in 1860 that's when they became a country and still very recent and we don't you know think about what happened to them during world war ii or after world war ii and so i really got interested in that and when i looked at anita and her story i started looking at the history of italian history you know, both here in the United States, what happened when they came here, what happened over there, and like this whole world of, you know, open up to me, like the light bulb over your head, like, I'm going to write about Italian history, I'm going to be a historical fiction author, this is what's going to be great, I'm going to do it, it's going to be great, and yeah, the rest is history, so I got The Woman in Red, that just came out in August, and then the one that's coming out in uh, 2022 is going to be The Neapolitan Queen. And what is, what what is that? That is a story about a Maria Carolina Charlotte. And during, um, right about the time of the French Revolution, uh, she was a queen of a country called the Two Sicilies. And they were, the southern half of Italy was its own country. So this is like, it's not a prequel, but it's before. Yeah. And she, in a kind of, no, it technically it's not, but it kind of explains how things ended up coming to be in Italy. So like some of the stuff that you see in The Woman in Red, you're like, oh yeah, now this is where this comes from. That That's what I, so of, it all takes place before and like you're reading like, oh, this is sort of pre-unification and your yeah. book is sort of like during and after or just after? 
this was like my my book is just before unification because Anita yeah right about you know that happens just beforehand and so her story and Giuseppe story before that and she takes place um and roughly 19 or 19 this is where my head is with revisions we had this discussion earlier about revisions uh seven in the um late 1700s early she died in 1803 roughly so about 50 or 60 years before your first yeah yeah Yeah. and her sister was marie antoinette oh and that does not end well no no it doesn't and what's interesting is that she she basically became she was a queen she basically did everything because the husband was just a goofball to put it bluntly as happens Yes, this happens. And she, they, all the historians agree that her downfall was that she wanted revenge on France for what they did oh. to her sister. And that was her downfall. And she's one of the few women who actually stood up to Napoleon. Tragic flaws will get you every time. Yes, yes, they will. That spot will not come out. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> So that's great. Like that's and when did you start the podcast? Was it before the writing? Like when did you guys decide before like the well, writing we, or right we, about the time I just started like really writing and like learning to like write a novel? And um, it was 2016. So you guys yeah. been doing it for a while. Yeah, it's about four years now. Yeah, a little over four years. How and often is it on? Once a week. We are a weekly podcast. We have authors on every week coming on, uh, drinking wine, just talking about books, getting the stories behind them. And it's great when you get them, you know, give them alcohol and you get these great stories about them. Um, stuff that they don't normally tell them. I find the same when you ask people about their childhood. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> All of a sudden they're like, shit, I haven't told this story in 30 years. Like, yeah, yeah. you learn about my Pentecostal background and yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can do just a whole show on Pentecostal, like just getting <laughs> authors that had like, and I don't, I'm going to say a thing that's going to sound disparaging, but like, that's an odd, that's an odd religion. Like it is, a, mm-hmm. it, and I don't mean odd, like it is odd, but just like the, most people don't have direct experience with that. So yeah. For them, it is an oddity. Mm-hmm. It, it truly is. As a religion in and of itself, it, it is totally an oddity. Yeah. It is. And, and then, and I was very, it was very different from my cousins, my Italian cousins who were Catholic. Uh, and it was just yeah. this whole, totally different world when I go over there. I don't even know how those two sides of the family talk because, and again, I can't they speak didn't. for an entire, they yeah, didn't. I can't speak for an <laughs> entire didn't. group of people, but the Italian Catholics that I know are not so open to the non-Catholic version of the religion. And the other version, the other family was not very open to the whole Catholic At all. Either. They're not open to anything. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, my God, yeah. when I grew up, uh, it was like the, the, the mom in, um, Oh, and one of the movies, uh, I have Waterboy, where oh, she's yeah. like, oh, yeah. yeah, everything's a devil. Everything's yeah. a devil. I wanted to do yoga. That's that's a devil. You can't yeah. do that. It's satanic. I want to be a vegetarian. No, no, that's satanic. <laughs> um, if, you're, if you were Catholic, you were going to hell. That is um, actually a really good, yeah, that is maybe the best explanation of what that is. So, it, so you do the historical um, fiction stuff, and did it come like do you have any desire because it you know it it sort of started around your family Mm -hmm. do you have any desire to sort of move away from some of the stuff that isn't your family and to go well huh our stories because you 17 1800s and 1860s like eventually you're going to get to a point where it's like oh i know a family that came somewhere yeah you know eventually yeah because it's you know kind of backwards where i'm like uh, the history stuff and eventually i want to do one day i want to do my family one day i want to do my family story and i especially want to do my grandmother's story um 
she had such a unique story that I, I don't really talk about this one very often. Um, my grandmother, she, when she, the way she died was she jumped off a bridge. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. So she was a con artist. She was, um, and she had this con where that in her mind, what we think happened was, um, the con was that these guys, she was, she waited until this car showed up and the guys showed up and she then jumped off the bridge and they were going to jump in and rescue her. And cause she, you know, insurance fraud was her thing. And the guys didn't know how to swim. And it was a springtime in central New York. And if you're in central New York at any time during the spring, you know, there's like floods and rushing rivers. And so she was a goner. And the story with them was just so, even going into the history, and she was from the Sicilian side, and going into their history, going back into how, you know, they came here. Her dad, he died when she was 13. Um, and he had a stomach cancer. And so in the 1930s, if you had stomach cancer, if you had cancer of any time, you're dead. Yeah. If you had much. anything back then, you were dead. Pretty much, yeah. 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 And so she was, you know, passed around from family to family. And to, and then at one point, some this woman shows up and she's like, hi, I'm your mom. The woman that you thought was your mother is not actually your mother. I'm your mother. And this was her story. And this is, yeah. you know, the thing that she grew up with. And it's something that I really want, at some point, want to tackle. But it's still very hard when you, ta- you know, to tackle your own family stories like that. Because, you know, there's, you know there's a lot of spousal abuse yeah um, a lot of all of abuse. it yeah there's gonna be racism like all the stuff oh yeah. yeah yeah and it's 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 a such a hard thing to tackle to talk about her story and talk about it respectfully and to also you know talk about it from a place of you know you know my dad's side of it and my dad's you know growing up with it and growing up with like you know all this stuff going on you hear these stories yeah but yet also there's this you know this other darker side of it uh, yeah, we won't get into it because people on the show have heard. Like my family's infamous. Like my mm-hmm. for a hundred uh, hundred years in Appalachia, we were part of the bloodiest feud. Hundred and fifty people got murdered. My great grandfather was the last one killed. Um, I've been to the place where he was shot. Uh, he was a car thief and moonshiner and all that. Like I didn't find out till I was thirty two. Like the family, <laughs> the, most of my family had been murdered, and so the remaining ones escaped. And I didn't find out until I was finishing my first book and was watching the History Channel, and there was a documentary on my family. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's yeah. like, you're telling me the story. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling this shit, like, yeah. in a really deep, meaningful way. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. 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 <laughs> to tell the story and to tell the stuff where they came from. And, you know, none of this stuff really survived. And she... There's this whole thing where, okay, so if your wife dies, you write home to the family, and you're like, hey, my wife's dead. Send me your next closest sister. Right. And the next closest sister was my great grandmother. And, you know, she didn't stick around because she had somebody else that she loved back in New York City. So she left her kid with the dad and just took off. And so that was something that my grandmother, I don't think, really ever got over. Oh, and then that was who showed up at the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. It, yeah. Th- it is, uh, you got to write, I mean, people keep telling me to finish my goddamn book, so I feel like an asshole telling you to finish that book, but like, <laughs> you got to write that book. Yeah, eventually, and, find, and I got to find the right way to be able to tell the story, because, yeah. yeah, and it's, Utica's got to be so much a part of it as well. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I interviewed, and like, you know, the, I had to wait until the last of them died, because several of them committed murders, 
mm-hmm. like that were just, you know, that were murders. And so mm-hmm. if I wrote about it, like that was going to be, you know, a thing. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, sitting and it, I do nonfiction, right? So I'm like, why well, can't just not, you know, Robert Lee fucking killed a hell's angel out in Salton Sea. Like that happened and the sheriff just let him go, you know? Like, yeah. So, you know, how do you tell those stories without... Yeah, without incriminating somebody. Yeah, I mean, at least with my grandmother, you know, she had, you know, they were somewhat funny to a certain extent where she happened to have the fire fire marshal and the insurance adjuster over um, for lunch once. And then all of a sudden, randomly, the house caught fire. There was a random kitchen fire. We don't know how it happened, but thank God the marshal was here. That's ridiculous. That was the kind of stuff that she would pull. And it was, you know, it was always clever. We always looked back like, yeah, you got to have cunning. Grandma's cunning. You got to have it. I mean, it's the same way with the bakers. It's like, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff in there, but also it's like, well, I mean. Mm -hmm. This is the environment that we grew up in. This is, this was very much with, you know, very much Utica, this environment that you come up in. And you've got to do what you got to do to survive. And I think that share story also goes back to, you know, some of the early immigrant stories. Sure. You've got to do what you got to do to survive in this, you know, in this world that you're not, you weren't fully grown up in. And it's, it's the same like growing up poor in Appalachia, like back mm-hmm. in the 17 and 1800s. It's like you're on the frontier. Like there's not, yeah. nobody's coming, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. and so, you know, the sort of, you're, I don't always know how to say this without sounding sort of pretentious and bougie, but like the person who you are is revealed in that time. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you are, if you are under threat all of the time, you will act like an animal. And that is, that is how we are, prime to respond like you have to overcome everything in your being to not do that and so it's really hard for me to be like well yeah they were you know they shouldn't have been doing that shit but yeah she was 13 (laughs) when her dad died and she was left on alone yeah and and you know her mother didn't even stick around after she met her so she was like this is who she became this is what you had to become right and at a certain point that she gets locked in and it's like they didn't have therapy like yeah. they, they weren't on Maslow's hierarchy of being like, they weren't being self-actualized. They were trying exactly. to eat and have, you know, shelter. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And she had five children. So uh, by the and so with her, you know, you can't just get up and leave your abuser at that point. What are you going to do? Right. And, and so you, and you got to do things to help feed those kids. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, if you don't write this book, I'm going to now be your silent bully who's like snitch tagging you and be like, hey, everybody, uh, (laughs) I feel like you should be writing this book. Why aren't you writing this book? Uh, This has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you. Uh, This has been great. I've had fun. Yeah, it really is. And you said um, the woman in red just came out. Yeah, it came out this past August. Yeah. So everybody can go get that right now and read it. Yes. Now, I'm looking forward to reading that because it sounds fucking fascinating. Mm. I've sort of got into this historical fiction kick because of guests I've had on the show. And I think that that's a genre that I really like. Oh yeah. We all, we all kind of stumble into this genre. I I don't think I met anybody who purposely set out to go. Yeah. I'm going to do historical fiction. Everybody who I have interviewed has done it because of their family. I started doing my family and that led me into this other thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And Anita was just this amazing woman in and of herself where she was Brazilian 
she was raised a gaucho. She, you know, she roped horses. She told men off and she had this passionate affair with, she was married and then had a passionate affair with Giuseppe Garibaldi. And they went from, you know, Brazil to Uruguay to Italy fighting wars the whole time. And oftentimes she did it while pregnant. And it was just amazing. And she was so amazing. And there was very little stories told about her. So it was a great opportunity to tell her story. Yeah, as also happens in history. Mm -hmm. Yes, very true. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Well, listen, you take care of yourself. It's been wonderful talking, and I really hope we can do this again soon. Absolutely. I would love it. Well, there you have it, people. That was my interview with Diana Giovanazzo, whose book, The Woman in Red, is out now. Before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. If you like what you heard, do us two favors. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends about us. While you're at it, don't forget to check out the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With Podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly McLear. Don't forget, The Jam is now out every Wednesday, so get yourself subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out our video podcast, which we put out every week or two. You can find that on the Solid Listen Podcast Network YouTube channel, or you can catch the audio right here. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until next time, I will see you around the internet. Attention, fans of fairy tales that are magical, hilarious, and grim. The award-winning Pinna original podcast, Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, has new episodes out now. While you've probably heard of the Brothers Grimm, you've never heard these tales told in quite this way. I'm Adam Gidwitz, best-selling and Newbery Honor author of Books for Children, and in Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, I share the real weird, grim fairy tales with real, weird, hilarious kids. In each episode, you not only get to hear a story, but you also get to enjoy this group guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and sharing their own perspectives on the tales. Also, heckling me. They love to heckle me. The episodes are rated on a scale from grim to grimmer to grimmest, so there's always a great variety of tales to explore with your family. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes.